0: Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us here on The Mark Steiner Show on WEAA 88.9 FM, home of the Big 4 birthday bash, taking place this Saturday, January 28th. More information at WEAA.org. So you want to join us for that great birthday party for WEAA. Uh, and we're going to, We do we have Sophie locked in there? You ready? So before we jump into our conversation about Maryland, budget cuts, Governor Hogan. The effect on Baltimore and the rest of the state, Uh, we are going to, uh, as I promised, we didn't get into it last hour, is to hear, this is a speech given by a nine-year-old girl at the March on Saturday, Sophie Cruz, that just brought the house down. Uh, And uh, for all those million women who hit D.C., million women and men, uh, who hit D.C., including my wife and all the other incredibly powerful people around who were there, Uh, and (laughs) our state senator was here as well, Uh, and many of our guests from last hour, this is Sophie Cruz, just... Understand, she's nine years old. Very powerful young lady. Listen.
1: My name is Sophie Cruz. We are here together making a chain of love to protect our families. Let us fight with love, faith, and courage so that our families will not be destroyed. Let's keep together and fight for the rights. God is with us. Hola, me llamo Sofi Cruz. Estamos aquí juntos, haciendo una cadena de amor para proteger a nuestras familias. Por favor, les pido a todos que luchemos con amor, con fe y con valentía para que no se destruyan nuestras familias. Luchemos por lo justo. Dios está con nosotros. ¡Sí se puede!
0: That was uh, the wonderful Sophie Cruz. And she actually, what you didn't hear at the very end, was the entire crowd broke out into saying her name and just yelling her name over and over again. So she was very powerful. We talked earlier about future leaders uh, in our country. Nine years old. A lot of future leaders out here. Six Uh, years old. uh, Six years old. Excuse me, bro. Six years Did I say nine? Yeah. Well, I inverted my numbers, didn't I? Nine, six. Turn around. Six. Six years old. And uh, so that was just, she was six years old. That's just bloody amazing. She was just wonderful. So... Uh, that was the spirit of yes of Saturday, and maybe the spirit of the future and where we are going. We're going to talk a bit about how it affects our state right now. You just heard the voice of the Reverend Kevin A. Slayton Sr., who is the pastor of the New Waverly United Methodist Church and president of the Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance of Metropolitan Baltimore, who remains with us this hour. Kevin, I'm glad you had the time. Glad you had the time with us today for this. This is yeah. great. Uh, we are here in the studio with State Senator Rich Maddaleno. Uh, Rich Madaleno represents District 18 in Montgomery County. Great to have you in the studio, Senator. Thank you for joining us up here.
2: It's great to see you, Mark. And I'm, I'm fired up, too. I was at the march, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to fight. So. All
0: right. Well, let's get into it, then. And we also have with us by phone uh, Delegate Nick Mosby, now the delegate from the District 40 in Baltimore City. Nick, welcome. Good to have you with us, brother.
3: Hey, Mark. Soon to be delegate. Soon to 40? be <laughs> delegate. That's right.
0: The governor has to say yes. Yeah. He has to say yes. And Jamal Jones is back in the house. has been a while since he's been here. Executive Director of the Algebra Project here in Baltimore. Jamal, good to see you. How are you, brother?
4: Hey, how's that, everybody? What's up, Nick?
0: Hey, what's up, Jamal? 410-319-8888 is the number to join us. Uh, you can also tweet us at Mark Steiner. Email us at talk at steinershow.org. I'll be checking our Facebook pages as well. But 410-319-8888 is the number to call to be part of this. So, you know, we, we kept talking last hour about where this leads us, and we kept going back to the local whether it's Baltimore or Maryland, but the local and the power of the local, um, and you know, let's just begin there because I do want to talk about the 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 effects here in Baltimore City and around the state of the non-cuts that are cut when it comes to education and our children. And there was this huge article in the. Sun yesterday, I think it was yesterday, yesterday or Saturday, um, about uh, the casino dollars that we were all kind of pushed to vote pro-casino because the money was to come to education. Mm -hmm. That's not a reality. So let's talk about why that is and what that means in transforming our state. But what about the local? What does the power of local mean to us in terms of the energy you see kind of erupting around this country in this moment? Uh, with millions of people hit the streets. So, uh, Jamal, you've been, you, you know, you, even when you were a very, very, very young man, when I first met you as a student, um, you know, and you've been remained an activist all this time and now helping to run the Algebra Project. Um, so what does this, what does local mean in terms of activism how be, and how do we and what moves and motivates us?
4: Well for me I mean this is just one of those times Let me slide that might closer to you there. A it a little bit closer. Hey, All right. Cool. So for me this is just one, another one of those really really clear reminders that the work is never over. It's um it's one of those times where like for me at least this is like it the the type of issue that we're facing with these budget cuts and just generally with the implications of the state of education as is it really it makes it makes the urgency to fix things and the, to have the conversations about how to shift and move and operate the educational system here and on the state level, like uh, uh, it makes it not only super urgent but really pertinent, right? A lot of times when people are talking about like education budget cuts, what makes what what dollars make what, but it, it's never really it's never really tangible when we're talking about it on a real high high level, real abstract level. And I'm curious, State Senator, I mean, how's that mean to you? I mean, because it's. um
0: in some ways, you came into the Senate on this kind of wave, popular wave. And I'm just curious what that means now with uh, – because there's a lot of recalcitrance inside the leadership of the Democratic Party in the State House and more about really pushing these issues to where they – some of us think they need to be pushed.
2: It was interesting. I was listening to a, uh, a Republican commentator who was in Washington for the, for the inauguration on PBS – on NPR. And uh, he was talking about we're, we're entering a period of time of, of the politics of conviction – and that's why that's why Donald Trump won was, you know, he he expressed convictions and people stood up for him. And, you know, maybe that's a good point. And the, the public wants to see the Democrats stand up and fight for what they believe in and really put up the fight and the struggle to to get what the, the communities want. But part of it is sort of understanding what people want at at home, not just assuming we have the answers. That's why. It was wonderful to be here with Jamal and Kevin because it's, it, you know, they help give the voice that should inform us of, of where we're going. And maybe as a party, that's been one of our struggles is there's been a disconnect from what the people on the ground want us to be doing and what uh, the, the establishment believes we should be going in, the, in that direction.
0: So, Nick, so what, what does that mean for you now that you're kind of wandering your way into Annapolis?
5: Wandering my way, Mark.
0: Winding, winding. I didn't say wandering. I said winding, winding.
3: (laughs) <laughs> no, no, Mark, um, you know, I think uh, when we talk about education, the economics of education has always been, like, at the forefront of equality, I mean, through the history of this country. And it's unfortunate we constantly have to have this debate, this, debat, this battle about, you know, the economic equation around education in Baltimore City, uh, you know, the disproportionate amount of funding that Baltimore City has received over you know past several decades that has been proven uh, in open court. Um, You know, but but to the senator's point, I think that, you know, when you look at local, when you look at state, when you look at federal uh, government policies, politics, uh, you know, the average everyday citizen feels like government just does not work for them, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they're working for themselves, that they're fighting to get what they can get and survive the way that they're able to survive, but government isn't necessarily working for them. So I think there has to be a huge paradigm shift. Um, Not just on the national level, which is kind of the more sexier thing to talk about, but more particular on the local level, where folks really understand and know, one, their government, and understand and know the things that are being put in place to change the trajectories of the communities, specifically around the systemic issues that have continued to plague us for far too long, like education. I think that that's where this argument comes up again, but then, you know, how do we take the leadership, how do we take the collective approach to really drive transformative change?
0: And, you know, Kevin. said one of the things that we've had a number of callers. Someone just called in again, according to these notes from our producer across the glass, who have been asking. Um, so, how do I get involved? What does it mean after this march on Saturday? What do I do locally? Where do I go?
6: Well, just, just sort of backtracking real quick. Uh, budget cuts aren't new. They come up every year during this time of session. That's what we do. We have these conversations as always. As Nick. Alluded to education is always on the shopping block, healthcare, those things that we care about, things that most folks um, who are on the margins of society really give a darn about. Um, but do they actually show up? Um, I think it's important when you look at particularly education. You look at September here in Baltimore City. This is um, sort of sort of random, but but it, it's significant. The school board um, was considering implementing uh, a standard minimum requirement. For athletic participation at 1.75. Let that sink in for a minute. 1.75. About 80,000 students, right? Takes two people to make a baby. It's 160,000 people ought to be pissed off, right? How many people go testify? Me. And what did you testify? I said, um, I sort of equated it to a cancer. You recognize that something really bad is going on, but hey, at some point, we got to go ahead and amputate some things, but we've got to, we've got to we've got to raise the bar. We looked at studies from Harvard and um, Ohio State, all showed that students would meet whatever that standard was. So why are we lowering the expectation for these kids, predominantly of color, in, in the city of Baltimore? the The, the point is, it's it's got to be something that moves you, you know, the the people at at, at that real basic local level. Um, to be pissed off enough to feel like they, they, they've, got, they've got a stake in this. And I think at, at this point, particularly when you talk about budgets in Annapolis, that trickle down to get back to Baltimore, the disconnect and the, the same relationship we've had over the years, the expectation is just there. There's no more fight in there, I don't think. Um, the 5,000 people that were out on Saturday, if you could get them into Annapolis, um, that might make a difference.
0: 5,000 people in the, in the, gov- the what's it called, the governor's mall, the governor's... Yeah. Right?
6: Yeah, by the statue, by I the, mean...
0: Right. Yeah. That, that, I
6: mean, 5,000 people were there. That's at the local level.
0: Right. Now you're beginning to impact. So, so let's talk about some of this. I mean, so let so me take piece by piece here. These are some really large political questions I want to ask in the course of this conversation. And have our listeners join us at 410 um, 319 We see this, this gigantic deficit that Baltimore City Schools has, $129 million. On top of that, they're going to lose $42 million in state aid and they already have a $129 million deficit. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about children who desperately need more, not less. And cutting back to the, the hours of the library in Baltimore City, which means – and libraries are a place where young people go after school. No rec centers, but that's – I mean, the, the libraries are places where kids go to study and read and work and find a safe haven in many ways. But we're going to cut back on that too. So th- these are very real things. that going to affect people's lives. Um, and then we have the, what was in the paper about – the the casinos were uh, were maybe a billion dollars or more has been put into the budgets by the casinos it was and the lie that was told to people in Maryland was that that money was going to go directly to schools instead it's been used for lots of other things there's no law saying it has to go to schools which is why Delegate Kurt Anderson voted against it uh, one of our representatives here in Baltimore City so so uh, Senator, let me go to you since you're, uh, from the state perspective first, and come back to other guests as well
2: there, I mean, there is a law that says it has to go to education. The question has been has it what did it supplant the money that was going to go, or did it supplement the the money that was going to go and that's in in the end it it is it has allowed us to take um money that could have gone to the schools and put it into other things, including many things that I am probably you and I and all your listeners would support. but when you look at um, what the governor is proposing in, in the budget, and if you just look at the city, all of his attention is on the private schools, right He's doubling the, the money going to the private schools and yet he's okay with a 42 million dollar decrease for Baltimore City because that's what the formulas want. all, all these or that's what the formulas add up to. He's just only willing to say, I'm going to do the bare minimum for the public school kids. How can I help private schools and charter schools the most? And frightening, that's what you're hearing from the new administration in Washington. It's, it's all about vouchers and undermining the public school system by putting all the money out into, into vouchers for, for private school. We should be down there, as Kevin was saying, demanding this the, the focus on our public schools in Baltimore City and uh, around the state, the governor's budget proposal wipes out almost all of the progress that the city delegation made last year. The, everyone came together, or mo- most of us on the Democratic side came together and enacted a number of bills for the city to help rebuild the city, strengthen the city as a result of the, of the unrest. And the governor zeroes out all of that except for the money for demolition, mm-hmm. the, the extra money for the, uh, for the libraries so that the libraries can, can – can be there when families and children need them. The extra money to help support anchor institutions, to to help develop um, communities better in the city. All of that wiped out because he doesn't want to have a conversation about uh, any new revenue. What what we should how we should be
6: moving forward. So I I'm I, 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 I'm actually a little bit more optimistic about that. One, um, I think the the governor is catering to his base. They voted him in. He he, he has the right to do that. But I also think I I feel comfortable in this session that the relationship between City Hall and the second floor is such and salvageable that I think as we approach the, the final days, some things can be worked out with regards particularly to that. Carve out of those monies around the response to uh, to the uprisings. I think we can get there. What what I'm concerned about is once those conversations begin to happen in the final um, days of the session, is what happens to other programs within the city, um, sort of, such as Safe Streets, which is probably going to be asking for another million dollars uh, to sort of keep itself up and running. Will those things sort of fall by the wayside? Will they, you know, be revisiting supplemental budgets or not? I don't think so. But I think still there's enough there's enough rainy day fund you know we always hate tapping into that but what he's tapped to it 170 177 million, Um it's at a billion dollars I think there's still room before April um, to sort of revisit that and and maybe get some things but I think what we also have to deal with is the the reality of the the 90day session and this notion from our elected officials from other, counties and states which has been this notion for years that baltimore city is a drain on the rest of the state and what do we get in return for these investments there and i think back to our point sort of our earlier hour and even now is the time that that voices rise up from the bottom as you say mark and begin one to become involved to become informed and then to make some noise but to, to
2: counter your point kevin really quick How many times does the city delegation, how many times does Mayor Pugh have to go to go to Annapolis with um, uh, hand out Mm -hmm. to, to say to the governor, keep up keep up your commitments. When you have a deal, how many times do you have to re-litigate, re-ask for, for the commitment to the city? I mean, the unfortunate thing is he came to the, her, her, her inauguration, hugged her, made a big deal about a new day, mm-hmm. and he turns around and undermines the progress by pulling the money out. And then that means the city delegation has to make a series of deals mm-hmm. in order to try to keep the money that everyone thought they were going to have when we started the session. And he's doing the same thing to Prince George's County. They had a deal over their hospital their new hospital and that money is taken out. So they gotta redeal
6: everything. So I but mean I think, when, when I think, is the governor gonna stop I think playing the, politics? The same deals had to and same handouts had to be made towards Democratic administrations as well. I think that's the way the process is played out. But I think whoever sits on that floor responds um in time to the responses of the people. And if when it becomes important to the people that's when it becomes important to them, Jamal. Let
0: me get Nick back in. Go, Jamal. I
4: mean, I, I don't know. This is this is kind of rough for me, right? Mostly because like, this is like this is the discourse of like Maryland politics, right? This is like the legacy of politics in Maryland. Like, there is a governor who makes like very, very clear commitments to these local municipalities. And then there comes, like, a question of what should we do about this money? And then ultimately they make a decision that suits their base more than it suits the basis of the folks that they made the agreements with. I mean, I think that, like, one of the other really clear, like, demonstrative um, – kind of uh, situations was when O'Malley was president, I mean uh, when O'Malley was uh, mayor here and was saying, oh yeah, we need money for the schools we need money for the schools, and he went down to Annapolis and became governor and he continued to decrease funding for schools here in Baltimore City after saying that folks should go to the um, the governor's mansion before um, but I, I don't know, I think that I feel like with the the, I feel like with the, like, the, the current ways that the conversation is going in terms of, like, what funding had been cut, what funding hasn't been cut, I think that it ultimately—it feels a lot like gentrification for me, right? You cut away a whole bunch of the dollars. You put the money into the private sectors into the private institutions. But then what we do is we remain, we leave the money left for the, the, the housing demolition so that we can rebuild, raise the prices, and then further gentrify Baltimore. That's what it feels like to me. Nick?
3: I mean I, I mean, I guess everybody has, has mentioned uh, great points. I mean, the one thing that is constantly talked about is, you know, folks collectively coming together and, and voicing their opinion. Um, but I think we have to take it a, a, a step further, uh, and that's holding folks accountable.
6: Um, mm-hmm.
3: You know, when we talk about the governor, we can constantly talk about the governor, but there's elected officials that come directly from Baltimore that go to Annapolis, yep there's elected officials that come directly from our communities and go into city hall. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about holding us as elected officials accountable. I mean, in my opening statement when we were talking, Mark, yeah, I talked about at the end of the day on a federal, state, and local level, people feel like government just simply is not working for them. And, unfortunately, um, they have this um, kind of, of, of dark process that, this is not working there's no need for me to participate and that type of mentality just has continued to exacerbate the issue and allow things like this to constantly fester every single year every single budget every single cycle Uh, so we have to understand how we can organize come together you know get commitments in place but then hold folks accountable for ensuring that those commitments are delivered and you know that's the one thing that I constantly talk about Uh, To constituents and to folks in the community. Hold me accountable. Hold me accountable for what I said I was going to do. Stop, you know, just a certain percentage of folks going to the polls and voting because they they know of a name. You know, vote on topics, vote on issues, vote on things that are actually going to change a lot. So um, it's really tough, again, because, again, folks feel like government just simply does not work, and we need to have a paradigm shift in America as it relates to politics and our governmental structures.
0: Well, I mean, fundamentally, I mean, the call's coming in here. Do join us at 410-319-8888. We want to hear what you have to say. Jill, you're the first caller up, uh, and we'll come to your call when we come back. And I want to discuss, you know, so what does it mean when the casinos have generated $1.7 billion for the education fund, and we're not seeing $1.7 billion more spent on our schools? Why that is? And is there common ground between places like Montgomery County and Baltimore City find some unity to really fight for a society that we want to all live in, where there's equality, where there is equality in funding for our schools, where people take into account what it means to have a, a school system in Baltimore City uh, that takes care of mostly poor children, who are mostly children of color, mostly black children in our city, what it means for Montgomery County when they have kids with, who speak English with a second language. Do we, Is there a unity here about what we need to do about the future of our state, which is our children? And do we come together, or are our interests so separate that we can't come together? And that's something I like to explore when we come back from this quick break, Uh, because I think that is, that to me, that's key to where we're going to go as a people, and what happens to our kids, so that uh, you know everybody can be a Sophie Cruz, to one degree or another. So we're going to come right back and have that conversation. Of four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight, Jill and James, you're the first two callers up. We're back with our guests. Don't go away. back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show right here on WEAA 88.9 FM, home of the big Four O birthday bash, taking place January the 28th. More information at WEA.org. That's this Saturday night. And on our way back, I want to remind you, the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank. belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or standardshow.org. Is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We're here with the Reverend Kevin Slayton, who is pastor of the New Waverly United Methodist Church and president of the Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance of Metropolitan Baltimore. Nick Mosby, who is about to become, we all think, Next delegate from the 40th District, uh, State Senator Richard Madaleno, who is a Democrat representing District 18 in Montgomery County, and Jamal Jones, Executive Director of the Algebra Project, and you all are 410-319-8888, and let's go to the phones, and Jill, you're on the air. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Jill.
7: Hello? Is Jill? No, this is James.
0: Okay. Go ahead, James.
7: Yeah. Hi, Mark. Um, You you were a in counselor when I went to Murpho, so um, that-, <laughs>
6: <laughs> that was a while back, brother. That was a while right, back.
7: Right. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, this is James Williams. I'm the person who got the
6: water. I, I know that voice anywhere. <laughs>
7: right. Yeah, Mark, um, I, I've been advocating for over 20 years for our children in Baltimore City. And, Kevin, one of the things you said was it takes two to make a baby, but it takes more to be a parent than just making a baby. And mm. a lot of people dif- differentiate. They, they say that. Just because you have a child, your parent, but parent is parenting his work number one. But um, we went to Annapolis when I was in the PTA to get funding to diminish, the make smaller class sizes. Okay, and we got it, but we had to, we had to, to unite with numbers to get that action to occur. Now that was when a lot more people had a lot more drive, and the population was higher in Baltimore, but. We also went to get an elected school board. We went spoke to the Baltimore delegation. And one of the things that I learned was a lot of people who you send to Annapolis, um, they have their own motivations, and they aren't necessarily the motivations that help Baltimore City. If the delegation would unite and say, we're not going to vote for anything, boycott everything until we get what we want on our list for Baltimore City, and that includes adequate funding for education, but then you have to hold Baltimore. City public schools are accountable for spending the funding correctly, and having a 129 million dollar deficit proves that they can't do that. They need oversight, and they also need auditing. And the Baltimore City School Board, as it's as is constructed today, doesn't do that because those people who sit on the school board who are not elected, they have other jobs, and those other jobs pay their bills. So they're not accountable because we didn't elect them. And until that changes. The, the accountability in Baltimore City for public schools is not going to work, period. It's just that simple. I've seen it over 20 years and been involved to the umpteenth degree, and guess what? The Baltimore City public school system is a, still a disaster.
0: James, always good to hear from you. Always good to hear from you. Thanks, thanks for calling in. Um, last in the past there for me. But so. But, but picking up on, on what James was saying, and before we go to Jill, our next caller up, um, i 'm going to pick on what he was saying we, we, and also on in the interaction we were having off off Mike uh, with Senator Madalino. that about the one point uh, uh, eight billion dollars does I say $1.8? Oh, 1, $1.7 $1. Seven, $1. Seven, $1. Seven. dollars <clears throat> and it saying it didn 't go to education we 're going back and forth and, I, and and you said it did go to education um, and then my point was yeah, but it didn 't add to education it just it was the formula we had to meet and we used that money to meet it, and that when we all voted for these casinos or people who did vote for the casino people's thoughts were this means more money for education, not just shoring up what we have.
2: But it it has meant more money for education. I mean, I, I think it would be considering all the different tax increases that we have enacted um, during the O'Malley years, it's it's hard to imagine there would have been more money out there to keep up the the ramp up the funding for schools statewide if it had not been for the additional money that is coming in from casino gaming. So, it's, it's a chicken and- egg sort of um, sort of situation. I wanted to get back to what um, James was, was um, saying a little bit. You know it was interesting, uh, two or three years ago, we enacted a plan to give a uh, billion dollars um, to uh, school construction uh, in Baltimore City to redo? Right. 27 schools. You had hundreds, if not thousands, of parents and students from Baltimore City, in Annapolis rallying for that money. People took notice, and not only did everyone from Baltimore City vote for it, everyone from Montgomery and Prince George's County, for example, voted for it because there was that strong case. And people worked very hard. The difficult thing is having to to, to do this every year and come back and fight every year. But I think this is the political environment that we're in. That you got to come down and you got to keep as as delegate um, nominee. <laughs> Mosby was saying you need to keep the pressure on the elected officials and not just. Be happy that we're there, but but keep holding us accountable for for um, the decisions that we're making.
0: So let go back to the phones, unless you all want to jump in. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Jill. You're on the air. Welcome.
8: Hi. Hi, everybody. A um, couple of things. One is, what has happened to the Thornton Amendment that should be law, legislated, that we worked, so many of us worked so hard on it, to get equity in education for Baltimore City Schools, additional funds to um compensate for a lack of equity of so many things in our schools. Um, and two, I think a lot of parents simply don't realize the inequity, um, the growth inequity between schools, many schools in Baltimore City and those in, say, Montgomery County. Um, for a long time, I thought it would be a good idea to actually put people on buses and take them to visit some schools in other counties. They do not know what their children are not getting that are provided in other schools. And I think that you know it would be a, a real wake-up call for people to have that experience. So maybe you can do that through your um, organizations.
0: Uh, thanks so much for that call, Joe. Let's talk a bit about that. This has to do with what I was raising earlier about the kind of unity of of, of purpose and, and you know of, of the, the, with you talking about what Jill said. And it is true. The the kind of the 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 two different school systems, Montgomery County and Baltimore City, are vastly different in terms of what they offer their students. Uh, Montgomery Schools is one of the reasons Baltimore, why Maryland is kind of always said number one, number two, number three, whatever that number is in schools and country like systems like Montgomery County that put money into their system and have these incredible institutions really uh, in in their community. And so, um, you know, what does that mean in terms of any kind of unity can be built between around the state supporting places like Baltimore to recoup the money they've lost and to help fill up the deficit that happened?
6: One of the, one of the things that helps us um, as a society to sort of move be- beyond some of the same obstacles we keep encountering, and I think I think this uh, march uh, by the women is going to really give us an opportunity to see this work, um, see see it working better anyway. And that is when people who are not necessarily impacted by disenfranchisement become to be the lead voices for those communities once again that are marginalized. It it's going to be important for folks who don't necessarily live in devastated communities, whose children don't go to underfunded schools, when they begin to lock arms and aren't afraid to step up and use their voices, their platforms, their positions to say, this is the just and right thing to do. We don't get, until that happens, we won't get that balance if, in fact, the the role of those who we say we are in unison and unity with are to sort of only stand in their conclave enclave and protect theirs without seeing their, their ability and the need for their voice to come over and speak for these communities. We're always going to have those those back and forth. But I think we could make major progress in this state, in this country, if folks would take the risk of standing out and coming across from wherever it is that they were, to state to state the obvious, that yes, I stand with you as far as us being um, being equals in society, but I want to use my voice to say that what is happening here is wrong. So, so for those persons who are, who are representatives in the on the eastern shore, of Comanche County, uh, Allegheny, wherever they may find themselves residing, begin you know to stand up with those elected officials from Baltimore and say, you know what, you're absolutely right. You know, this is what, what's, what I want for my children here, I want for your children there. Uh, that's, that's when justice begins to roll down. I mean, until that happens, you know, we're always going to be at each other's, at each other's throats. Jamal, yeah. Mark, go if I could expand on what Kevin just said, Senator. Um,
0: I mean, uh, Delegate. I mean, we'll let you well, go, then we, Jamal, then back to the
5: senator. Go ahead. When we talk about the growth inequities, like the last caller just spoke of, um, there's no secret that um, we have these issues and we've had them for quite some time. Um, I think the the biggest point that she spoke about was unfortunately the normalization of what what folks have come to expect mm-hmm. from their public school system. Now, a lot of times we talk about what parents need to stand up and demand. Well, if it's the same education that they've received and the same education mm-hmm. that their parents received, and maybe even a little bit better. Unfortunately, maybe they're not in the position to understand and know the level of urgency. So when you talk about those gross um, um, equities um, and you talk about the comparison of Baltimore City to, say, Montgomery County in the school system, it is really interesting to talk about. Um, the one thing that I always would like to say is, no matter what someone's motivation is. um, And even in this debate, the the motivation could be selfishness. When we talk about education and we talk about its role as it relates to public safety, we talk about its role as it relates to the growth of our city economy, it all feeds into that. And until we're able to collectively understand that whether you have a child in Baltimore City public school system or not, you have a, uh, a, a elementary, a middle, a high school, probably in your neighborhood, it all directly impacts the growth of our city. And we have to all come together figure that out and unfortunately we have not been able to do that but that's exactly what we need to do and it has to be sustained what the senator said earlier you're about to
0: say Jamal oh
4: no I was uh, uh I was about to say that um I think this for me comes down to a couple things one is that if you look at a lot of the uh comparable school districts and like what their um what their municipal contribution is it's significantly higher than what's in Baltimore and I think that that's a thing to be noted particularly because Uh, When we start talking about a fixed pot of state dollars that folks have to have a conversation about how to split, it comes down to a question of not equality but equity for me, right? So if we know that Baltimore isn't able to contribute as much as, let's say, a Montgomery County, I think in order for like an alliance to be made or a conversation to be held or, or, or really even a deal to be brokered where folks are all working together to try and really work on a statewide education agenda that will work on not only the the more richer municipalities, but also the poor black ones too, right? I think that that's going to require for folks who are Elected officials in other counties who represent a very different demographic to also be able to say to that demographic, we need to defer some of these dollars to other folks. And to just kind of piggyback on some of what Kevin was saying, I agree that we need other folks to be with us. I don't agree that they should be the forefront voices, right? I think folks in Wacomico County should say, hey, Baltimore, what do you need? Let's do that. And that should be that. If you want to offer support, then the support should come in the form of subservient kind of agenda holding, right? If folks want, if folks in Baltimore are saying, look, we need more money for schools, and there's a particular portion of a pot that's going to a richer county, it's it, it makes more sense for folks to have a conversation about how do we either direct some of those dollars to Baltimore that folks might not need, or how do we, again, use that platform to, like, lend voices so that folks can – Pull funds from other places, but this conversation is always going to be tough. Particularly because, like, I, I think I don't think Kevin did it quite justice, right? In Annapolis, they call Baltimore City the black hole. It's like nothing comes of it. We put money in, and it doesn't happen, right? So when there are legislators who describe the municipality that needs to help as a black hole, we already know what the dialogue would look like. <laughs> I, I, I hope people.
2: I hope people don't think that all of us think. That way, when you when you say in Annapolis, people see Baltimore City as a black hole. That's that is maybe some do, but not everyone does. Uh, many of us know that the health of Baltimore City is is crucial to the health of the state of Maryland. I mean, we can't we can't have a, a healthy, prosperous state with a sick and failing city at the heart of it. So, everyone, I think, many of us are completely on board with with helping to move um, the city forward. Uh, for your callers, we do take site visits up here. I've been to, and many of my colleagues have been to a, a number of the the public schools, and I, I'm always shocked when you walk in because it, they they do look totally different than the schools that that my kids go to. Just the windows, the fact that in almost every Baltimore City public school I've been to, you can't even see out the windows because of a failed chemical treatment that wound up um, uh, making all of all of the windows yellow, yellow, and and not Transparent. So, I mean, it's it's shocking, which is why there was complete support from other Democrats all over the state to the to the city's um, school um, construction initiative. When you look at the Thornton, Jill brought up the Thornton yeah, plan. I was about to when ask you you, about that. When yeah. you look at that, I just quickly looked up the numbers from 2002, which was the the last year before Thornton started to phase in, to now, um, the state aid for for Baltimore City has gone from. Uh, $584 million to $982 million. So a $400 million increase, that's not a cumulative increase. That is, that, that, that is now what you, the, the city is getting for the current fiscal year. Now, we are in the process now of reassessing, is that number adequate now? That was our estimate ba- back in 2002. Where should we be now, and how do we move forward now on funding, and that will be a, a critical issue for the next election. Is we we know that for some of our school districts, we're not putting in the adequate amount of money. How do we get there? What decisions have to be made in order to have the resources to help raise every every jurisdiction um, up to the to the highest number? So engage in something. Is now called the Kerwin Commission because just like Dr. Thornton got the name of the commission, Dr. Britt Kerwin, who was the chancellor of the university system, is chairing this commission. Uh, I'm on it. Uh, Delegate Maggie McIntosh from from Baltimore City um, is on it, for example. Continue to work with um, those, the, the members. There's a Baltimore City School Board member who's on it. Work work with them to, to push forward and work to push the governor to have his nominees on the school board hold them accountable for for the actions of the school board. I mean, he's he's putting the screws on the, the board that oversees the Washington subway and bus system, the WMATA board, the metro yeah. board. He should be doing the same thing for the Baltimore City schools. But just like when he rolled out his transportation plan and they they, they accidentally left or purposely left Baltimore City off the map, just colored it blue like it was part of the Chesapeake. I mean, I think politically right. that's the way he looks at the city, yeah. and I think that's the way the governor looks at Montgomery and Prince George's counties too. But we have to hold him accountable and the people he puts in place on the state school board and on the city school board to make sure that services are being delivered. So we only
0: have a couple minutes left in this segment, but let me ask a very quick question. So do you, what do you think the odds are that Baltimore will regain the money it lost uh, for the schools in, in, the, in the governor's budget?
2: Well, i got to tell you, if – no one says anything, other than the 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 administration. I don't know if if you know if it's just Catherine Pugh down there saying we need this money. Well, that's a strong voice, but that may not be enough because the, the the governor has ignored her before. It's going to be the people coming down and demanding the action that soon to be Delegate Mosby was talking about. Bring people down, hold them accountable, push people to 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 deliver, and that will that will create the pressure that gets then the Baltimore City legislators in every meeting. And I, Senator McFadden is already talking about it. How do we fix this issue? Because the city school system cannot go bankrupt.
6: And, and again, I was, as I said earlier, I, I'm very comfortable that, that, that Catherine has a strong enough relationship with the Senate as well as the second floor that I think with that added support, she should be able to, to, to get close to it. Considering what also he has left to his discretion to pull from. Jamal
0: very quick thought we have to roll here in just a minute.
4: I was just gonna say that I think that it's all gonna come down to capacity to be able to mobilize folks to get down there. I think one of the things that this does, again, just going back to my opening statement, like this provides a very clear sense of urgency and it's a very tangible issue. For folks, So I think folks will be able to move on it rather quickly. But also it's going to be come down to a question of can folks break business as usual to be able to do so, right? Because we're still talking about folks who are in a, a an overly impoverished up, city. And so folks can't quite take the time off to go to hearings at 1 o'clock in the middle of the day to be able to do those types of things. And then also the school district is very um, – they had the screws put to them so much that having pull the students out of school to go to all of those hearings that would be necessary is also like a not viable option.
0: So we are up against the clock here. I apologize, Nick. Um, but you got 30 seconds, Nick. You want to say something here real fast before we have to roll?
5: Just the only thing is I agree with everybody else. Uh, the one thing is about really making the school system whole, and it's not just the budget in Annapolis, but it's the deficit that we face here in the city. So we have to have these very hard discussions and come up with very complex solutions
0: quickly. And I think Baltimore needs to look at how we spend our money in the city as well. Since we spend a lion's share of our budget here on the police department, maybe we should really rethink how we spend the money in Baltimore City and where that goes. Uh, But that's a conversation for another day. I want to thank Maryland State Delegate nominee Nick Mosby. Thank you for joining us. Good to have you with us, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming to the studio. State Senator Rich Rich Madaleno from uh, 18th District of Montgomery County. Always good to see you. I really appreciate your voice here today. Nice seeing you, Mark. And the Reverend Kevin Slayton, pastor of New Web Baptist Church and president of the uh, International Ministerial Alliance. Good to have you in the studio. And Jamal Jones, executive director of the Outdoor Project and a City College graduate. Good to have yeah. you here, too. Yay. All right. gonna take a short break. When we come back, senior producer Mark Henry has produced a, a tape, a documentary on Friday's demonstrations in D.C. Stay with us for that. Thank you.